you know, the old saying is, is buyers are liars. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that people necessarily lie, but I think that when you put the price in the front of them and you ask them to buy, they're going to tell you things that aren't necessarily true. You know, and body language is very important too, right? You're not trailing off. You're not like looking at your phone. I mean, it, it, it drives me crazy. Like when I used to work with reps or travel with them and they put their phone on the table at the in the kitchen with the client, I go, what's the phone doing there? Mm-hmm. Well, it's just, I don't want it in my pocket. Well, get it off the table. I mean, it's like you want the prospect to think that you're <laughs> something that's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Let's set it right there. And I'm going to give you an example coming right off of that product commitment. I'm going to say, how happy are you with the choices that we've made? They're going to say, we're really excited. We think the roof's going to look great. She's going to say that. He's not because he's got to write the check and he doesn't want to write the check. She's thinking this is going to look awesome. Great. What is up, everybody? I got a very special treat here for you. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Do you want to take your team to a whole other sales level? Do you want to close more deals and be more profitable? This guy right here that I've got with me, he has done that not for one, not for 10, not for 100 thousands of sales contractors across this country. Um, I am talking to the director of contracting for SRS, contracting training, I should say. I'm talking to John DeRosa today. Stick around for this one, everybody. What's up, buddy? Yeah, I appreciate you joining the show, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's um, my privilege. It's, uh, it's great to be able to talk to you a little bit um, before we got started. Um, we were really introduced through a mutual friend, uh, Martin Pettigrew, yeah. with Reva and Monarch. And I thought, man, when I first saw you, uh, you were going to speak for hours to a group. And I thought, man, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> no one can keep a room's attention for three, four hours. No one can do it. Let me tell you, I think two people in that amount of time went to the bathroom. And I was just like, everybody was locked in. You always been this good at sales? No. No, no. not at all. Um, <clears throat> that's an interesting question, and it kind of shocked me with that one. No, I have not been good at sales. I actually um, was so ineffective at sales that I remember when I was selling estimating software to auto body shops in Virginia, the president or the vice president of sales flew from Northern California to Richmond to have lunch with me because he wanted to make sure this was a good fit. (laughs) And I just remember sitting in that chair and thinking, I'm getting fired today. (laughs) Isn't that a great line? Is it going to be a good fit? In other words, I'm just going to figure out if I even want to keep you around right now. Well, his line was, even a blind dog finds a little meat every now and then. How much have you sold? And I was like, I hadn't sold anything. So how do you go from that guy Take me through a little bit of the journey for people. I, we'll talk about all your everything great that you've done maybe the last 20 years. I don't, I'm, but I want to want to learn, how do you go from that guy, the blind dog, to now really leading the blind out there? Yeah, well, I was actually in the millwork industry before that, and I felt like I wasn't really challenged as a salesperson. You know, it was all relationship stuff, and I really felt like I needed to kind of spread my wings and really avail myself as this salesperson. And I went and took this job in a completely different industry and kind of got swallowed up because I truthfully wasn't accountable for my own results and when he came out and met with me you know he made had this conversation with me and he said you know John what's going on and I said well our pricing's too high we're new we're a new in the marketplace I don't have any support from marketing I'm not getting the tools that I need and he basically asked me a question he says John when we hired you and put you in a position we did so because we thought that you were the guy that could help us overcome all that mm-hmm. and he said did we make the right decision mm-hmm. <laughs> so how do you respond yeah, you so run. you had to turn it around yeah I think that's a that's really a, a pandemic among salespeople in general, just any industry. When things aren't going right, 
it's somebody else's fault. And when things are going great, man, I'm the man. Mm-hmm. I'm on top of the world mm-hmm. because I'm a great sales rep. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that? And how do you get people to take accountability? What is the first step, in your opinion, to, hey, you know what? Listen, my life sucks. My sales suck. I need to point a finger at myself. Is there a way or a trick or some advice that you would give to a sales rep out there? I think the uh, the advice is really to find a good coach that's going to hold you accountable to doing the things that you need to do to be successful. It all starts with a process, right? I mean, we provide a process. That process is kind of serves as a recipe that puts you in the best position to win the sale. If you don't win the sale, it's usually a function of some sort of a breakdown in the process. Or, you know, you're not congruent somewhere to the point where you just don't have the right, right beliefs or you don't have the right, um, you know, values. Mm. Or maybe you just don't believe in what it is that you're selling. But all those things need to kind of work together to really, and again, there's no guarantees when all those things are in alignment that you're going to close the deal. But if you do have all those things in alignment, it's going to put you in the best position to win. So we try to focus on behaviors, and it's a huge thing in our industry. Managers and owners need to realize that you don't hold your reps accountable to the result. You hold your reps accountable to committing to the actions and the behaviors that are going to drive the results. I could talk to a rep who's blue in the face and say, you need to close more deals. But the trouble is, is he doesn't know how to close the deals. And me just shining a light on it all the time and saying, you need to close more. Well, our price is too high. Well, you need to sell our value. They don't know how to do it. If they knew how to do it, they wouldn't need me telling them that they need to do better. So what we need to really focus on are what are the specific behaviors that are getting in the way from them you know, achieving those results. And then if we can drive those behaviors, we're going to have a rep that's going to be able to perform at a much more consistent level. When you talk about behaviors, are there certain behaviors you see more often than you see others when you step in front of people? They'll probably have an audience here shortly of hundreds of, of, of contractors, and I appreciate taking the time to speak with us beforehand. But are there certain behaviors that you find that are, that are really more prominent? And how do you tackle and make a change in behavior when maybe you don't even want to take accountability, John? It, you know, I liken it to, like, cooking, right? If you have a recipe, you follow the recipe, you do certain things that put you in a position to make the best you know, dessert, whatever it is that you're cooking. I know how to beat the eggs. I know how to set the oven temperature. I know how to put the pie in a pan. I know how to bake it. I know how to test it. All we're doing is we're taking the sales process and we're trying to break it down into actionable steps that really put sales, again, in that position to win. I've always believed that sales is nothing more than a series of repeatable and definable behaviors that anybody can learn. All we got to do is teach them the behaviors. Number one behavior is, is am I accountable? Do I own my outcomes? Do I realize that if I lose, that I played a role in that? And look, I've been had people that have been pretty critical of me on social media saying, well, that's nonsense, because in some cases it is the customer who doesn't want to spend the money. And my, my feeling in that is, is even though there may be situations where the customer just can't afford you, is it better to look for reasons to blame the customer, or is it better to constantly look at ourselves and figure out what are the things that I could have done if I could have taken a mulligan? You know, and I love to use the golf analogy, right? How many people do we golf with that keep a sleeve of balls in their pocket? Because as soon as that ball dribbles off the tee, we want to sit down and we want to tee up another one. I'm just going to hit another one. If we took that type of action on every sales call, we'd be much better salespeople. Now I'm just, at the end of that process, if I don't get the results I want, I'm going to sit back and say, what worked, what didn't? If I had a chance to do a do-over, what would I do differently? And the only thing I would add is that guy who takes that sleeve of balls out of his pocket, what you need to do as a sales rep is you need to first look at, hey, why did I shank that shot before you put that other ball yeah. down, right? Yeah. Um, I think that guy who often puts that ball down, he shanks the exact same way because <laughs> he doesn't take accountability for why it happened in the first place. Right. It's just, hey, I'm just going to hit another shot and see what happens on this time around. I like this, though. 
own the outcome because the opposite of that is that the outcome is dependent on somebody else. Yeah. It's dependent on some outside circumstance, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The economy. They, they don't have money. Um, they weren't the t- right type of person for me. Um, and I think what you're saying is, okay, you're struggling right now out there. Are you accountable for your actions or are you stuck blaming other people in the company? Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Am I blaming the company for not giving me the right lead? Am I blaming the company for, you know, being too aggressive from a price perspective? Am I blaming the company for not having the right product? Mm. Am I blaming my competition for just selling too cheap? Am I blaming the customer for being too stupid to realize that I'm the best choice for the project? All those things at the end of the day, while all those challenges are real, and I don't want to undermine any of those as challenges, those are things that get in the way of our effectiveness every single day. But the thing that we need to ask ourselves if we have that accountability mindset is what are the steps that I'm willing to take within my own power and control that are going to put me in a position where I can be successful in spite of those challenges? So let's talk about those steps because yeah. if you're going to if you're going to start in the beginning of the process, I'd like to kind of help that person out there. They're doing belly to belly sales as I say because mm-hmm. I really think the the principles that you teach to the blue collar world can be they can be attributed anywhere. Um, a lot of these steps, you just have to kind of look at them. Okay, I'm selling cars here, or I'm selling, I don't know, I'm selling metal. I don't whatever you're selling. You're selling these tables. You're selling paper. You can use the principles that John DeRosa teaches, and you can become a better rep, right? Oh yeah. So let's talk about the different stages right here. How mm-hmm. somebody can improve immediately. I'm going to go a little more general here. The introduction. All right, John. Mm-hmm. We have sales reps in different industries. How can they improve their introduction? to take accountability and to say, okay, this is an area I need to get better at. What would they need to do first? So recipe step, right? We talk about like the recipe and the process. Number one behavior is, am I setting an agenda upon meeting that prospect? And this is an area is where- Is expectation kind of, you're setting the expectation? Well, here's the thing I want people to understand, yeah. right? Because I get reps all the time that say to me, hey, first thing I gotta do out of the gate is I gotta build a relationship and I gotta build rapport. And I say, look, that's a great strategy. But my recommendation is the first thing you need to do is you need to tell them when you're going to give them the price. The number one question that the prospect has upon meeting a contractor, the only question that they want you to answer is how much is this going to cost? So while you're building rapport and you're asking interview questions and you're telling your company's story and you're getting into the product presentation and all that stuff, which is very necessary, you've got a distracted buyer because in their mind, they're thinking, when's this guy going to talk about the price? Mm. And if there's a point where she gives her husband the elbow and says, how much is this going to cost? Now you've got a guy who might jump in and say, hey, look, look, I want to cut this short here. What's it going to cost me? So I say right out of the gate, try to start off on a professional footing and and let the customer know, here's what we're going to do. Here's how this is going to work. And it's a simple process. I mean, I would ask the question. I would say, hey, look, when when you spoke to my company, did they tell you what you could expect from me today? And the prospect's going to say, well, yeah. And I'd say, what was that? And they'd say, well, they told me you were going to give me a price. And I'd say, that's right. I am going to give you a price, but I'm actually going to take it one step further. See, first what I have to do is I have to do an inspection to determine exactly what it is that you want. And then I need to talk to you about what it is. uh, I'm sorry, do an inspection to determine what you need. Then I'm going to talk to you to see what it is that you want. And believe it or not, sometimes those things can be a little bit different. And assuming we can give you what you want and what you need, we're then going to look at some pictures. We're going to design a roof together. And at that point, I'm going to be able to give you a price in writing that's guaranteed. Mm. And then what I would do is I would, and this is an old Sandler training, uh, giving them credit, is you ask for the upfront agreement. And you say, you know, look, typically at the end of the process, we'd make a decision, right? If you decide to move forward, we'll get the paperwork started. Or if you determine that we're not the right solution, you could tell me that and I'll be on my way. Is that fair? And now I've let them know this is what has to happen for me to give you that price. We'll do a time check, and then we'll invite them outside to take a walk around with me so that they can show me the reasons why they felt it was important to invite me out there today. Help me understand. What what did you see? What concerns do you have? Let's take a walk. 
can we? I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears here yeah. for you, okay? Because I we t- we talk a lot about roofing, but I want to show that your principles are really any kind of sales, mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm. We'll talk about beds, <laughs> okay? So I went to looking. So I, I'm a door to door bed salesman. No, you're you're at the rooms to go. Okay, now you're at the rooms to go, or what is it? City furniture, right? Because I went into this a couple, about a year ago when I was looking for a bed. You walk in there, and immediately what they want to build that trust with you and that rapport. How can we help you? Let me. Let me get you over here to show you these beds and lay down on it and all this. And the whole time I'm thinking, okay, hold up. If I lay down on this and I really like it, is it going to be $2,000 out of my price range? And I'm just going to be stuck going, I can't afford that? Because I don't know. They don't know anything about what I can afford. I don't know anything about what they're showing me. I've got this whole question in my head. Am I being set up to have to to lay on something that I can't afford? And I'm thinking to myself, if somebody would have told me, hey, listen, man, I want to go over there, let you lay down on a few beds, see which one you really like, what's comfortable for you. Then we can talk about if this is going to be something that's within your price range, or I can find one that might be comparable mm-hmm. to what is. You know, if they, they would have put my mind at ease, but then you can start to go and walk around. Then I can start to build that trust with somebody because mm-hmm. I'm not thinking the whole time, am I going to be put into a corner that I can't get out of? I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm trying to relate this to other sales, John. I think in general, you want to be able to manage the client's expectation, regardless of what type of sales you're in. So the example I just gave you was roofing. I'm going to manage their expectations in terms of what needs to happen for me to give you the price. Got it. If I'm selling betting, I want to manage their expectations. Now, my strategy in a betting sale is I might use something called pointed questions. Okay. And I'm a big fan of, of using pointed questions because it allows me to to follow my process, but it gives the prospect all the control, or at least they feel like they have the control. So I would say, hey, look, typically when people come in here to buy a bed, one of two things happen. Either they're only concerned about the price and they want to know what the best option is for them, or they have some big concerns because they have issues and they really want to weigh out all the different options because they want to make sure they have the best solution. Which one of those best describes you? Now, if they turn to me and they say, well, we're just all about the price, I'd say, great, no problem. going to need to ask you a few questions so I can make sure I get you the right fit. Mm-hmm. And now what I'm doing is I'm letting them feel like they're in control, but I'm actually the one that's driving. See, I love this. I love what you – I've heard you speak about this before. I think this is great for beginning sales reps in any industry because it does immediately put you into the driver's seat. And sometimes you're not – you're thinking so much in the beginning. This gives you that, okay, I know my opening line is. I know where I'm going up. I'm putting them and I'm establishing some rapport because I'm allowing them to make the decision. But you know what? I don't feel like I could think on my feet yet. So maybe I don't want to go right into what you said first. This puts them in, a, in, a, in control of their mm-hmm. beginner, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They're pointing questions like that and allows them to know where they're going to take the presentation to next. Yeah, absolutely. And it allows the, the customer to feel like, or the prospect in this case, to feel like that they're heard, their needs are being met, and now we've, we're on the same page in terms of what I need so that I can kind of move through this process. So let's talk to the next step then. I, we did the introduction. I'm going to call this the inspection, or really this is you know that point where you're you're, I don't know, your product is, you're seeing if your product has a need, that, that next step after the introduction, how, let's talk about from the roofing standpoint, from an inspection side, what are they doing wrong there? What could people fix immediately in the inspection side to make them more formidable in, in the home? So let me just dive step backwards okay. just once, because I think that before we get into the inspection, there's one thing that everybody really needs to understand if they don't already know this. 
If you look from a statistical perspective, according to the Better Business Bureau, every year they come out with something called an inquiry statistic and a complaint statistic. And I've been tracking this for years. Every year for about 14 straight years, roofing contractors have been defined as the most inquired about business type that consumers do business with. Number two has been general contractors for 13 straight years. Inquiries are a measure of trust. Mm -hmm. I've got a contractor come to my house, I'm doing research. If you really, and there are people that push back and they go, wait a minute, John, that doesn't still happen. In 2019, the statistic was, as an industry, we replaced about five and a quarter million roofs, okay? Better Business Bureau tells us there was five and a half million inquiries about roofers. Lord have mercy. So statistically speaking, that means that on every single roof replacement, there was at least one inquiry about a roofer. My reason I'm pointing this out is because I want everybody to know that if you think that because you just go in there and you smile and you act nice and pretend that you're a great guy, that they're going to want to jump in and disclose all their fears and all their concerns and all their wants to you, you're, you're selling yourself short. Even companies that are well represented and have a really powerful brand, people are comfortable with the brand, sure. but in the back of their mind, there's a bias that kind of plays on them. So what I try to do in the process that we teach is we try to get reps to come to terms with the fact that you need to secure four commitments that put you in the best position to win the sale. The inspection is a commitment to the problem. I have a problem and I need to fix it. Is that the first commitment that you need during that that portion of the presentation right, right there? Right. Okay, so number one, okay. Yeah, yeah so I'm going to build rapport. We're going to do the walk around. We're going to talk about family, recreation, occupation, possessions, all the things that are interesting to the prospect. We're going to try to develop a little bit of a relationship. Then I'm going to show them the results of my inspection. I'm going to use pictures. I'm going to use video. It's very important that we try to establish what I refer to as trusted advisor status, and we do that by trying to teach them something that they don't know. If I could teach something, uh, somebody something about their home, that they're like, wow, I didn't even realize that. Now all of a sudden they start to see me not as a salesperson, but now I'm starting to weave into that, that realm where they're saying, this is somebody that really knows his stuff, right? In the Northeast, we have the privilege of having you know, poorly designed roofs where we could stand outside and go, I'm betting you get a lot of ice here in the winter, huh? And they go, oh yeah, it's brutal. I mean, we don't even have to live there in the winter, but we could point it out and they start to think, this guy knows his stuff, you know? So the first commitment that you want to get is a commitment to the need. Insurance restoration contractors, that's an easy one for them to get because they just say, hey, we found some damage. Look at the damage. It's our recommendation that we file a claim. Do you want to do that while we're here? If the prospect says, yeah, let's do it, well, I've just secured that need commitment. On the retail side, we need to talk to them and say, hey, look, based on what we're looking at so far, like how important is it for you to get this fixed? Like, mm -hmm. What's your thought here? If they say to you, no, we can't put this off, we know we need to do this, I've just secured the need commitment. And the reason that's important is because, you know, I, I joke and I, you know, the old saying is, is buyers are liars. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that people necessarily lie, but I think that when you put the price in the front of them and you ask them to buy, they're going to tell you things that aren't necessarily true. And one of the things they may tell you at the time of close is, well, I think we're going to put this off till spring. Yeah. Or I really don't think I need to replace this roof. Well, because I uncovered the truth in the beginning with the need commitment, I can now revisit that. So I used to do this in a joking way with yeah. uh, selling timeshare for Marriott here in Orlando. Mm -hmm. I'd always start the presentation out with, we've got to make this, this is going to be the last vacation you'll ever take as a family. We've got to make this really special, so I'm going to get you out of here. And they'd always joke, no, this isn't the last vacation we were going to take. Boom. Commitment. Vacation commitment is what we called it. And then, oh, really? Where are you guys going to go next? Well, we're going to go here. We plan on going here. Great. And in my back in my mind, what I was thinking is, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to overcome that objection right now to at the end of this thing, well, we're not planning on taking a vacation again. You know, we're, we work too much. We're not going to go. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a while before we do this again. I want to get that out of the way in the beginning, that there is a vacation commitment. You're saying, hey, we need to get that commitment right there in the beginning as well. 
Yeah, I like that. And I just think we need to be, pre- you know, I'm a, I, I use a, a term called premeditated selling. I think that all of us have enough experience where we kind of know the obstacles that we're going to face. We know the answers to the questions that we're going to ask. All we need to do is to use that knowledge and that experience to figure out how we can build the bridge back to our solution. And another objection that you'll hear at the end is that people might say to you, you know, you put this Mac Daddy roof system in the front of them and they say, well, oh, dude, we're selling the house. I mean, what are you doing here? Why wouldn't we just ask the question up front, like, what are your intentions with the home? Hey, it would really help me understand from a product recommendation perspective, like, what's your intentions with the house? I mean, are you looking to sell this thing? Are you going to stay here for the rest of your lives? What are you thinking? If they say we're in this for the long haul, oh, now I can sell them on that. If they say we're selling the house in next month, I could still build my system, but I'm going to sell it to them in a different way, in a way that speaks to why that's value at resale or whatever it is. It's just get the questions, answers out up front so that in the end when you put the price and you ask them to buy, the only issue that gets in the way really is the money. Yeah, I love that. So we're doing the first commitment there is the commitment to the need. Yes, sir. And that's going to be during the inspection process. Right at the end of the inspection. After you've done the introduction, okay? What is the next step in your mind? Where's the next commitment going to come from? Or what's the next one we have there? So after you do the inspection, I would then encourage everybody to get into like a homeowner interview. Okay. And it's amazing to me, Patrick, is is when I talk to roofing contractors and I say, what are the top questions that you feel you must ask on every sales call? All the questions are specific to timeline, product, and color. There's no questions about what concerns do you have, um, what's most important to you in hiring a contractor, have you ever been involved in a remodeling process before. Think about it even from an insurance restoration contractor who's selling a, a homeowner on using us for a claim, to ask the question, have you ever been through a claims process before, how did it go, what was your experience? If that homeowner says, man, it was a nightmare, now I have an opportunity to develop a relationship and say, well, tell me what happened. And I could build that back to whatever message I want to, you know, I'm connecting the bridge back to whatever message I want to deliver. So we're going to do that interview and that interview sort of sets the table for us to then tell our company's story and the company's story is going to pay for us, pave the way for us to get that second commitment, which is a commitment to the company. So think about what we're doing right here. Right now we're getting the prospect to tell us, I want to do the work. I don't want to put this off. I love your company and I want you to do the work. Okay. You feeling me? I am. So then the next commitment that we would work towards is a product commitment. Now I'm going to do my pitch. This is where contractors, I get a little bit uppity with some of our contractors and it's because the manufacturers out there have done such a good job of teaching contractors to sell their brand and I'm not taking anything away from the brands out there and I'm going to be careful not to mention any of them because I'll forget one and then somebody will get mad but here's the deal is they've built strong brands that people are familiar with and it creates comfort my concern is is if the contractors out there selling the fact that I use XYZ shingles and I'm certified by this manufacturer and I risk that becoming a buying criteria then there are thousands of other contractors in the marketplace that can meet that same criteria. See, I, I want to I touch on this because the commitment yeah. to the product. I think this is the one that you're, I'm, you're right. A lot of sales reps out there miss on this. And I'm going to tell you where I think they miss is that, especially some of your larger companies who are certified and they've got this platinum medallion level, yep. that they, they, they go over this with a customer thinking, yeah, that's going to get you the commitment to the product. But what does that do for them? What does it mean? And I think we miss that boat a lot of times, at least when I've seen at the dining room table of, great, you've got all these awards, you build your company up that way, but you think that just because of that, you've got your product sold. Mm-hmm. That It takes more than that. I think your customer is very much into, what can you do for me? What does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. Great, your company is that way, but you ain't sold me on the product yet that you have. I think it really comes down to the fact that choices empower people. Consumers love choice. You like options. I like options. As married as you may be to the system that you're selling so that you could provide that 
better warranty, mm -hmm. you need to let that be the customer's choice. What we need to understand is there's a paradox of choice, right? If you provide too many choices, it creates confusion, it's options overload, the customer shuts down, it's a major demotivator. If you don't provide any choices, they see it as tyrannical, there's no autonomy, there's no control, it's a major demotivator. So my assertion is if you want to sell them that top of the line roof system with the extended warranty package, walk them through all the system components that are available. Say to them, hey look, this is what's common, this is the minimum expectation required by code, here's something that we recommend, it's what most of our customers go with, do you have a preference? Let them make those choices. As they make those choices, they become mo emotionally connected to the project they feel like they're building that system themselves and another really powerful thing happens as they begin to fill their shopping cart with all these different options what do you think happens in their mind to the perceived cost that they're going to see at the time of proposal oh. they think it's going to be really expensive yep. and i've always said if you can create a condition where the prospect thinks man i really want to use you but i don't think i'm going to be able to afford you in the end all you got to do is make it affordable now you are you're somewhat known for this john mm -hmm. <laughs> of getting down to the cost objection, which is really what we're kind of leading into right now. Because many people are afraid to get to the cost objection. And I think what they need to be more afraid of as I listen to you and I've heard you speak, is you've got to have some real balls in the beginning of the presentation to ask questions that should be asked. Don't be that person that sits there and assumes. It's much easier to just go through, talk, talk, talk. But by asking questions, they can be a little tough. It can be a little bit like, okay, the anxiety starts to go up when I have to ask these questions when I'm trying to get the, the commitment to the need. Like, I'd rather just talk about our product. I'd rather just talk about our company. But you have to do more than that. You have to be willing to get those, those objections out of the way in the beginning. That takes that, – that's not easy for some people to do. That's why sales is tough, Yeah, but it's not, that, it's not that out of line. I mean, look, I just did a presentation. Maybe I spent four minutes talking about why my company has been the contractor of choice for so many neighbors. At the end of that discussion, I'm just going to say, hey, look, based on what we've talked about, like, how confident are you in our ability to handle the project? Yeah, I'm very, yeah. I mean, if they say, we think you're great, well, there's, no, there's nothing uncomfortable about me having that conversation. But, but here's what I also want people to think is if the prospect says, yeah, I don't, you know, you're, I guess you're okay. Mm. Like, do you feel at that point that you have the ability to go in with a product presentation and close? No, there's a question that they have. There's a concern that they have. Something happened that made them not absolutely convinced that you're the best choice. Mm. And if that's the case, then we have no right to move forward. So you're just basically getting all these, um, these, these checks in the boxes. I'm committed to doing the work. I love your company. At the end of the product presentation, after you've built the roof, you're going to say, hey, look, we just spent a few minutes going over our products. I just want to get a sense from you guys. How happy are you with the products we're using and all the choices we've made? Yeah. If they say, man, we're really happy, well, then I just think about what's happened now. They're telling us, I want to do the work. I like your company. I love your product. What we need to do next is we need to say, so is price the only thing getting in the way? And we ask what we teach in training as a trial close question. There's a lot of different versions out there on how to do it. My preference is... And I'm going to give you an example coming right off of that product commitment. I'm going to say, how happy are you with the choices that we've made? They're going to say, we're really excited. We think the roof's going to look great. She's going to say that. Yeah. He's not because he's got to write the check and he doesn't want to write the check. She's yeah. thinking this is going to look awesome. Great. I would then say, great. So, look, usually at this point, our clients tell us, we love your company. We love your product. The only thing getting in the way is the affordability. Is that where we're at? And they so, say, yeah. Sounds like, well, yeah. And now what we're – oh, so we're role-playing. Cool. No, I was, I was going to roll cool. with you. I knew that's, you were good at this, so good. I mean, hey, let's do it. But the reality is, is now they just told me that the only thing getting in the way was the money. So now every objection that they throw out at me, it's got to come down to the money. 
And I'm going to just try to, through the process, facilitate us getting them to say that so that I can come in as a hero and make it more affordable. So let me ask you something, because I just did something right there, and I'd love to know your opinion about it. You asked me a question, and I didn't give you a, I didn't give you a for sure answer. Sounds that way. Looks that way. Could be. Um, I think, you know, we're, I'm, I'm 80% there is what it sounds like to me. When do you know? Is it a full commitment, or are you okay moving on from step number two to step number three with something like looks that way? Um, when do you know and have that feeling, that, okay, I've gotten the commitment that I need to move forward without the objection coming back to bite me in the ass a little bit later? Yeah, so on the company's story, we would ask them to explain the reasons why. Okay. So they would say to me, I would say, look, how confident are you in our ability to handle this project? And they say, wow, we think you guys are great. I'd say, awesome. Well, look, just so I know what's important to you guys, would you mind telling me a couple of the reasons that you feel that way? And the reason why I'm asking that is it's part of the strategy because in the end, if they want to tell me that my price is more expensive than the other guys, I can ask them to measure the value of the differences that they talked about against that additional cost. And see, I think that's, this is a step I think a lot of people get messed up on, new sales rep especially. They hear something like... Um, a positive affirmation, not thinking, okay, hold on now. I'm not getting exactly what I need. Let me ask the question that might be, most people would move on. It's like, okay, you got to ask the question. You got to be more poignant with your questions. Mm -hmm. You haven't gotten down to truly a hundred percent commitment, 80% there, but this could still come back to bite you in the end. Mm -hmm. I think about that with that product and that, that company presentation right now. Um, because sounds that way, looks that way. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh -huh. Um, I think you get to dive a little bit deeper into, into someone like that. I love what you're saying there. They need to repeat back to you. What is it that you like about my company? Yeah, because once they say it, they own it. And what you're really doing is you're asking them to hear themselves tell you the reasons why they like you. And there's tremendous power that comes in that. And I also do just want to say one thing. When you ask that trial close question, it's my assertion that you're always going to get a, a, a positive. For the most part, you're going to get a positive answer because they want the price. Mm. So they're not going to say, I don't know. Because what their number one question that they want you to answer is how much. So if I say to them, look, the only thing standing in the way at this point is the money. I mean, is that where we're at? And they go, yeah, we guess we just need to know how much it's going to cost. They want to know what the money is. So they're always going to be agreeable. Yes. And there was a great book out by uh, called Influence. And he talked about the uh, principles of persuasion. And one of the things he mentioned is, is that people um, um, appreciate consistency in others. And they want to be seen as consistent themselves. So the more that you can get the customer to agree with you through the process, the harder it's going to be in the end for them to go against those agreements because they want themselves subconsciously, they want to be agreeable. And so help me out there. We've got the commitment to the product. Is the commitment to the price is going to be number That's four? That's the last one. I got it. So we're working on that one right now. So we set the table and we say, look, it all comes down at this point. It's all going to come down to the money. And they say, yeah, I mean, at this point, we just need to know what it's going to cost. I'm then going to present my price and I'm going to ask them to move forward. How do you suggest in a world where price I mean, people, middle class, I'm just going to play devil's advocate. I know that we don't need to make excuses, but price tends to be on more people's minds, even businesses right now. Has your approach remained the same in how you present the price, or has it changed as the outside factors change around an industry like roofing? How, what's the best way to present that price, in your opinion? So I'm going to look at the camera and be like try to be as direct as humanly possible. You need to incorporate financing into your every proposal, every project, every time. Stop talking about financing in the beginning. You're the least trusted business type that consumers do business with. And the first question out of our mouth when we walk in the door is, do you require financing? You, they don't trust you. They don't know you. And the first thing you're asking them is, is do you have any money and do you want me to put you in debt? Don't even bring it up. 
Wait until the end of the – if they bring it up, you can say, hey, we've got a wide variety of affordable payday options that we'll offer you guys. My assertion is, in the end, when you deliver your price, do not deliver your $18,941 price and wait for them to react to offer financing. Deliver the proposal price and put a financed payment right next to it on the same page on the same point in time. And what you're going to realize is, is even with, with people who have $25,000 in the bank and were planning on paying for it out of their checking account, when they see an affordable payment of $289 a month and it's a five-year loan and I could really make that work, why? some of those people are going to sit back and go, why would I give you my $25,000 when I can use your money for the next five years and I'll use my twenty five grand to go on vacation or pay down the principal on my more? Who knows what they're going to do with it? Absolutely. Put the payment in the front of them. Every proposal, every time, bar none. And so this, I, we said we wanted to go through each step right here and try to find some tangible stuff to take away. In your opinion, is it the price shock presentation where it's, okay, let me throw out, you know, let me throw out 28000 on this one. Let me throw out you know, whatever it is, 22000 and 19000 Even though they're presenting different options, are they making the mistake of presenting the, the let's say, the biggest outlook or the biggest – price and then trying to work backers from there what is the mistake they're making during this price presentation i know they yeah. need financing but i kind of feel like there's there might be some more mistakes that people are making or could improve immediately in how they present to a homeowner at this time yeah now we're in a whole other world where we're talking about how do we present options right? okay i am a huge fan of threes the rule of threes is right. a there's a concept uh, called the goldilocks principle we all familiar with the story goldilocks you know with some you know a starving child mm -hmm. who commits a home invasion you know you guys know the story so anyway um, every time she was that faced one. with a decision right she uh, chose the the option that catered to her aversion to extremes this one's too hot this one's too cold this one's just right so reality is and you know i'm, I'm, I'm being sincere here patrick yeah, because right. some guys will say hey look i can give you this shingle or i can give you this one by me only providing two options they have nothing to compare those options to so if i provide three options what's going to happen is the prospect's always going to say you know what i don't like this option. It's going to be very easy for them to discount the least desirable. And in some cases, if you go good, better, best, what you're going to find is people are going to say, I don't need the top of the line. Of course. And then they might say, but I want better than the basic. Or they might say, I want better than the basic. I'm definitely doing that. Either way, they're going to discount that first option, the least desirable option, and now they're going to choose between the other two. And the great thing that happens psychologically is now we shift the mindset from should I buy or not buy to which option do I want. Yes. And now when we're making it about the options, they say, well, this is the option that I want. I say, great, let's get you on the schedule. I, and you go right now. I want to talk about that. That's my, one of my final things I want to get into with you is sometimes you just got to take the take – the, if it's sitting right there, take it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to do anymore. I mean, right. take the clothes. You've got it right there. Um, but for me, I'm thinking about this. When somebody was sitting down, and I want to know, if I, am, I, am I thinking about this right? I always liked it during this time in any sales presentation to show the person that I've listened to them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people want to know that they were heard. Mm -hmm. And I would revert back to sometimes your listening skills during the entirety of an inspection and introduction and everything means something. And sometimes it's good to tell somebody, hey, remember when we were walking around, you told me that this was important to mm -hmm. you. I, okay, I, I, when, when, we were sitting, when we sat down here, you know, it seemed like you were really worried that this thing's going to last forever because you feel like this is your place that you're going to be in for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I'd go through maybe three or four. Based on what you're telling me right here, I've got three options here for you, and you're going to be able to check, but all of these options are going to be able to meet your needs, mm -hmm, okay? Mm -hmm. They all are there for you. I can, make an, you know, I can make a recommendation what might fit your needs more, but I want you to know that all of these will meet what, you, what I thought you needed. Kind of like showing them, hey, listen, I listened to you during this thing. 
And I think people are missing that so much. They get so caught up, John, and I have option A, B. Why don't you show the homeowner you gave a crap about what they had to say? And that, I think that comes down to like the power of scripting. And I know some people get a little bit turned off when I talk about you need to script yourself. You need to script yourself so that you can memorize what you're going to say and you don't ever have to think about it. Yes. And if I don't ever have to think about what it is that I'm going to say, then guess what I can do a better job of? Yeah. I can listen a hell of a lot better. And now I can have an organic conversation with the prospect where I'm talking to them about their wants, their concerns, their needs. And I know because everything's memorized, it's here and it's here. I can deliver that message in a way that makes it seem like it's a natural part of that conversation. And it's very, very important. So you'll see like in, in, in a lot of the, when we talk about homeowner interviews, like we'll ask them question and I'll feed the answers back and I'll say, so if I hear you, what you're saying, you're yes. telling me this because I want to let them know that they're understood. You know, body language is very important too, right? You're not trailing off you're not like looking at your phone I mean it, it, it drives me crazy like when I used to work with reps or travel with them and they put their phone on the table at the in the kitchen with the client I go what's the phone doing there mm -hmm. well it's just I don't want it in my pocket well get it off the table I mean it's like you want the prospect to think that you're there's <laughs> something that's gonna happen <laughs> all right I said it right there well, that's a good time to take a break right here and thank one of our sponsors. <laughs> but I do want to take a break, and I want to thank um, one of our sponsors. I want to thank Ugly Roofer, right? Uh, Ty, John, the entire crew over there. I am one of the first people, everybody. As I've said before, I thought this was a gimmick. It's pesticide that you're throwing on top of a roof. But I've seen it firsthand what this product can do for roofing contractors. I have a roofing contractor here in Central Florida. Has got two appointments every single day for the next three weeks using the Ugly Roof product. What this does, it's going to rejuvenate a roof, everyone. It's going to be like a pliable again, get rid of some of that granulation that keeps on coming off of there, and it's a fraction of the cost of a full roof replacement. Your homeowners will love it. It gives you another bullet in your gun to be able to close more deals at the dining room table. That's what we're talking about here with John, closing deals, everyone. So give yourself the options that you need to make that happen. It's Ugly Roof, everybody. Simply put in a Google search. You know it's going to come up. Ugly Roof. Talk to John. Talk to Ty and their crew. Get them set up, and you can start making sure your homeowners are taken care of with the best product for them. Don't be one of those people who only offers one solution. Your homeowners deserve better. Go in and visit my friends at Ugly Roof, everyone. All right. So, John, we're talking about closing right here, okay? Um, I think there's a mistake here at the end with some people where they even they get the sale – and they almost talk themselves out of the sale or they lose it because they lose the moment at the end. Have you seen that as well? I think they're concerned. Uh, some people would say they're afraid to close, and I don't think it's fear. I think we get over fear pretty quickly. I think it has more to do with guilt and maybe even lack of conviction uh, on the part of the salesperson. I think there is a um, perception of salespeople. Salespeople themselves have this perception where they uh, believe that selling is a dirty word. Mm -hmm. And when it comes down to at the end, like you ask them, I ask, it's, I come into people all the time and I'll say, well, so what do you do for your company? Well, I'm an, I'm an account executive. I, I'm a roofing consultant. I'm an estimating, I go, you're a salesperson. And then they, they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm a salesperson. <laughs> it's like, why are you so afraid of that? And I think they're afraid of it because of the, the connotations that come with it. They don't oh, want to yeah. be perceived as pushy. They want to be, you know, uh, just go in, develop a relationship, present them with the facts, and hope that people jump in the shopping cart. And it doesn't really happen like that. So we've got to get them comfortable with the idea that when you ask your customers to buy from you, it's a thousand percent about them. It's about putting them in a position where they can enjoy the many benefits of doing business with you. Do you think some people in your experience out there are embarrassed to be a sales professional? Um, they feel like that is a almost a dirty word at times. I'm mm -hmm. a, but they miss the fact that first you've got to be a professional at the job. Um, 
This is not something people think, oh, he was a born salesman. No, there's really a process to this. And process, you know, it, you know, you can have culture, but without process, that's chaos. Um, and I think that people truly miss that, that being a sales professional is something to be proud of. You do something that most people cannot do. It's the uh, engine that drives our economy. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely does. Yeah, yeah, entrepreneurship, you know, you could say capitalism is driven by a salesperson. Um, and also, I kind of like when I get sold, John. Like, I like it when I go into some place, I'm like, damn, I'm mess I'm, this is a professional right here. I want to enjoy this ride a little bit. That person you forget, they become a friend immediately. And afterwards, you're like, I liked that guy. Um, and I think there's something to be said for someone who's able to take you on that journey, find you what you need, and you walk out of there going, I have a better product for myself because I worked with a professional that listened to my needs and found me what I didn't even know I was looking for. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful guy right there. Well, Jeffrey Gittimer famously said that people hate to be sold, but they love to buy. So all you're doing is you're creating a condition where you just make it easy for them to want to buy from you. That's all you're doing right mm-hmm. there. Exactly. Um, I want to end by talking a little bit about the roofing industry, okay? Yeah. Um, and you're involved across the country with mm-hmm. SRS training, um, well, not just sales reps, but teams of sales mm-hmm. reps. What are you seeing across the industry right now? What are you seeing are the hot points in the blue-collar entrepreneurs? Um, you know, I'm not out there as much as what you are. I'm not talking to the companies in front of them anymore as much as what you are. What are you thinking? You know, I think that I get a little bit so I'm so hyper focused on uh, helping develop the sales process and helping them execute a process that's kind of specific and biased to them that I don't get into a lot of the like the nitty gritty. But I think that, you know, what you're seeing is obviously things like solar uh, that provides something that's. Um, got some sex appeal to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, some of my friends are telling me that they're having an easier time recruiting people because you're finding that some of these millennials are going, hey, man, I'm selling solar. I'm yeah. part of that next, you know, uh, step or that next phase in the industry. I think that one of the things that I've seen over the past couple of years, which is great, is uh, an adoption of technology. I think that roofers are starting to get into that, you know, third generation. The kids are starting to run the business and they're coming in and they're starting to think about things, which, you know, it, it's mind-blowing that, you know, we haven't been doing this for 20 or 30 years, but they're thinking about things like, maybe I should have a CRM. Maybe I should, you know, leverage some of the tools that are out there. Maybe I should figure out how I can incorporate financing into my business. So a lot of good stuff like that. I want to say, is there, what about like, uh, I don't know, the economy? Do you see, do you see owners and sales reps out there? I think, you know, I was at a, I'm not going to say who, but I was at a round table for a, you know, a sales organization that kind of listening in. And a lot of the excuses they were using, I say excuses were revolved around, People can't afford this. It's the economy right now. I kind of feel like in some ways we've kind of reverted back to, let's say, circa 2009, where the excuse is an economy because it's an easy excuse to make. Um, It's just kind of a fallback that a lot of people have right now. Do you see some worry out there about that? I don't really have a lot of worry about sales rep not being able to sell their price because of any other reason other than the salesperson. And I think that it really comes down to, in the end, I mean, and again, if you've aligned with a financing tool that allows you guys to provide affordable payment options to the prospect, what you're really doing is is you're allowing, you're taking the pain of buying away from them. I mean, at the end of the day, Patrick, we know, you know, that there are contractors out in the marketplace that are selling, you know, single-layer tear-off, walkable roofs for $1,100, $1,200, $1,300 a square. And you have those same guys are competing with other contractors in the marketplace where sales reps are saying that I can't get my 550 or $600 a square because our price is too high. Absolutely. So, look, 
while I do think that that pricing and the economy and people being concerned about, you know, what's this recession going to look like? Do am I still going to have a job? I mean, all those concerns that create uncertainty. Um, I think that it's going to create challenges. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the responsibility of the salesperson is to do one thing. It's to create a condition that compels the prospect to really want to do business with them. If they can get them to the point where they really want to do business with them, then I'm just going to utilize financing as a tool to help make this a much more affordable, a much less painful purchase so that they can actually have what it is that they want. What's next for you then, John? I mean, you you obviously have been very successful in helping SRS and helping the people and their their customers and their roofing clients. Um, I know you started the podcast, man, Business Builders Podcast, mm -hmm. to reach more people. You got the Facebook group I've got written down here, the SRS Sales Academy. Um, I'm sure we'll put the links and everything, let people know over there where to go. Um, what comes next for you? Do you want? Do you see? Uh, do you, do you see yourself on billboards somewhere? Like you gonna, you do more sales training? Are you going to do bigger venues because? I see when you show up, man, when we were at Riva, that place was captivated by John DeRosa. And it feels, I'm sure that feels good. But it feels what, great. Yeah. What comes next, brother? I think I just keep doing what I'm doing. I mean, I have the privilege of being able to travel around the country and work in the best industry, bar none. And I get the privilege of working with some of the best people in the industry, bar none. And some of them are people you've even mentioned here today. Sure. We are lucky. We are in a great industry. If I can help any one of our customers, and, that, and I'm, I'm being like, the thing that's so cool that I want everybody to really try to appreciate and what we're doing here is I approached Dan Tinker about seven years ago um, at the IRE in Orlando. It was the last time it was in Orlando. And Dan made a, a comment to me, and he said, if contractors are going to buy from SRS, he said, we need to do everything within our power to help them win. And he goes, John, I want to create a job description for you to do that. And it was kind of funny because I said, Dan, I don't want to be the guy walking up and down the street, you know, ringing a bell, talking about our delivery and our inventory. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, we have salespeople that will handle that. He goes, you focus on the contractor. So that's what I'm doing. I think the next step is, is I'm going to take some of the people from our bench because I feel like we've got some of the most talented people in uh, in the industry that work for our organization. I mean, the growth that we've had over the years comes as a result of our people and obviously their ability to provide a great experience for customers. But, but what I'm doing is I'm leveraging their talent to help contractors solve problems. So that Business Builders podcast, we're going to talk to people in our recruiting and our organizational development department and our safety department and our financing department about, you know, what are some of the things that contractors need to do to help create a safety culture, maybe do better interviews, uh, you know, recruit people, how to be a better manager, how to be a better leader, how to create a better culture, you know, that kind of stuff. And then those people will then, you know, at some point be able to make themselves available for customers too to kind of help them uh, evolve. So I guess until every contractor in the marketplace is making as much money as they want to make and they don't have price objections and they're closing, you know, 65% of the deals that they bid at a high price, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. So let's just say there is a contractor out there, John, and they're sitting there going, you know what, I need to have this guy out there. Do they have to be an SRS company? Um, what is the process to make sure that you could help somebody within that SRS family or outside of it? I'm not sure how it works. Yeah. Perfect. So I think what's amazing about the industry is most contractors recognize that if they call me and say, hey, John, I want you to work, come and help my team, m almost all of them will admit there's no value in you coming out here and helping me win so that I can buy more stuff from the other guys. So even if they're not a customer, they're at least able to see a little bit of a differentiator to the point where they're saying, hey, there's value in this. Maybe we should have a conversation about what we can do to create some win-win. Yeah. I'm about social currency. I mean, I get, I put everything out on social media. I've been, I think, pretty generous with the process and the system today. I mean, with, with whatever, anything anybody wants that's going to help them win, I want to provide that, that content. 
because I just want to pave the way for at some point maybe we can have a bigger conversation about how we can, you know, uh, work more closely with them as from a customer perspective. So do they, is it best to reach you through the Facebook group or is it, what's the best way to Facebook, Instagram, how do they reach out to SRS directly? We had talked about yeah, some companies that have done that to SRS. Yeah. So, one, so yeah. people will go, you can either go directly to the local branch, your local sales rep. Um, you could connect with me through the group. Email's great. Um, the cha- you know, the challenge is right now I get iMessages, I get, you, get you know, so. Facebook messages, I get, you know, all this kind of stuff, but reach out to me uh obviously with the understanding that i'm traveling all over the place i might not respond to you that day but i'll get back to you in the next day and we'll we'll have a conversation absolutely yeah call me man i appreciate that and you are very good about getting back with people um we've got some mutual friends in the industry everybody speaks very highly of you i appreciate you taking the time today um i'm looking forward to hearing you for another time here um you'll be speaking to i'm sure which will be a couple hundred contractors i'd also like to thank harvey cohen the Cohen Law Group was nice enough to give us this room before your presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so Harvey has always been very good to us, Daphne, and their entire crew. Thank you very much to the Cohen Law Group. We, we very much do appreciate this space. Thank you, John, for as oh always, gosh, man. We go you. through a lot of stuff right here. I got my notes as always, and I will study them a little bit later. Um, thank you. I appreciate you taking no, the time, thank brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Thanks, man. Until next time, everybody, the Patrick Carr Show. If you like what we had to say here, go ahead and click subscribe. Go ahead and click the like button. You can follow our content. All right? We appreciate each and every one of you. Have a great rest of the day. All right. Thanks so much for watching that video and sticking around till the end. If you like what you saw, go ahead and click subscribe. Make sure you punch that like button, and we look forward to seeing you on the next video.